1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all of you fine folks on the other side of the speaker. I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you for being here. Thank you for dropping by. Thank you for sharing some of your hard-earned time with me and the rest of the Striking Gold fam. This episode, as always, is brought to you by PriceFix. Daily Fantasy Sports, get up in at PricePix.com slash gold, promo code gold. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Today we're going to talk about uh, kind of just a general conglomerate, a general gathering, a general collection of 49ers news and developments throughout the week as they prepare for their second to last regular season game against the Washington Commanders. Anybody that's ever listened to Strike and Gold knows what I'm thinking right now. Please, commander. It's all about Galaxy Quest. One of the greatest comedies ever made. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It's pretty incredible. Galaxy Quest. Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver. uh, Alan Rickman. This goes on. I mean, just the cast in and of itself is pretty pretty incredible. Let's go see. I'm also pulling up here what the Commanders did. Man, the Commanders and Jets last week decided to just have themselves a game, huh? That's interesting. The Commanders lost to the Jets. That tells you where they are. That tells you where they are. Um. Alright, so let's get into it. First thing we're going to start off is the same thing we typically start off with. One, I'm going to apologize. I'm I'm in the same place I was at last podcast, you know, we, we are in the midst of, uh, of developing, cultivating and raising a one week old baby, uh, Robert Newton ladder, the sixth turned one week old on Sunday at eleven forty four PM. I should post some, some silly Instagram post with like a chalkboard and one week old and the baby's like, it's like laying on a blanket next to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some of those pregnancy posts, man, are just, uh, there's something else There's something else. Okay. So uh, my mind is not all to hear. I mean, it rarely is. You guys listen to the podcast. You know, my mind is rarely all the way here and I'm constantly saying stupid things and poking fun at myself more than anybody else, but I'm going to do my best, but we always start with injuries. And these, this little sum up is courtesy of Jennifer Lee Chan of NBC sports Bay area. Shout out to Jen. So we'll start with the, we'll start with the bad and then I'll hit you with the good afterwards. So not seen in the early portion of practice on December 28th, that is Thursday. Uh, starting left guard, Aaron Banks is still out with a toe injury that he, a turf toe that he reaggravated against the Ravens. Uh, he missed two weeks with that injury the last time when he first suffered it earlier in the season. Um, offensive lineman and backup swing tackle Jalen Moore is still out with a concussion. He came in to back up Trent Williams and was immediately uh, exited uh, with a head injury. Wide receiver Juwan Jennings is still out with a concussion, which is longer than normal. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anybody out there that should ever downplay uh, how bad a concussion can be, how bad the symptoms can be, and how long somebody could be kept out with them. Um, but Juwan Jennings is still out. Uh, and if and obviously he's the 49ers kind of wide receiver wide receiver three option in relation to that um, third round rookie Danny Gray's practice window was opened, so maybe he gets he gets activated and put back into the mix this week. I can't really say that he has anything he or the 49ers have anything to show for his third round draft status yet. Uh, we'll see. We'll see a lot of speed, definitely something useful to the offense, but. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't materialize. I'm not making that call yet. There's obviously not a lot of a lot of opportunity in the 49ers' offense behind Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and even Christian McCaffrey's catching a lot of passes. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if anything develops from the activation of Danny Gray behind Juwan Jennings. Uh, defensive lineman Eric Armstead is still out with a foot uh, and knee injuries. Big one there. Kyle Shanahan kind of said they, you know, they. He was reluctant to label it serious, but it's kind of a reoccurring thing based off previous injuries and just kind of reading the tea leaves. I'm not sure when the 49ers expect to get Armstead back. Back Backup tight end Ross Dwelley is still out with an ankle and starting rookie safety Jair Brown um, was seen working with trainers on the side field. Uh, He's out with a knee injury. Kyle Shanahan said it might be serious. It's something that they're evaluating. And uh, and that's a big blow because obviously the 49ers already lost safety Talanoa Hufunga to a torn ACL. Right? I'm, I'm, I, I get my season in injuries mixed up, and, and that's not really a joke. I just uh, get them mixed up from time to time. And jair Brown was coming in to replace him. Had has had has had, had his had had his had had his. So you can see where the confusion and the lack of uh, basic grasp of the English language was coming from had had his uh, ups and downs, and um, Logan, veteran safety Logan Ryan, is apparently per defensive coordinator Stu, Steve Wilkes, stepping in uh, to replace Jair Brown, which is great in terms of a knowledge and a veteran experience in big games. Uh, not great in terms of just being uh, you know a, a, a veteran on the on the back end of his career, but we'll see. Uh, he might be able to contribute. So, again, that was the bad, no- bad news. Those are all the players that currently aren't practicing or, per gen, weren't seen in the early portion of practice. Back in the mix, so we're back in the good things. Right up top, the uh, as good as it can get, left tackle Trent Williams, back at practice, said it was a minor groin injury, should be good to go. Uh, defensive lineman J- Javon Hargrave still practicing. Wide receiver Debo Samuel uh, was limited with a neck injury yesterday. He's out of practice. Uh, linebacker Oren Burks, he's back out there. Cornerback Ambry Thomas, he's out there. He was uh, out with a hamstring hamstring injury and running back Elijah Mitchell is also out there. So the 49ers have their fair share of injuries, fair share of impact injuries, fair share of starters, um, but that is a good list of people that are back at practice. Trent Williams, Javon Hargrave, Debo Samuel, Oren Burks, Ambry Thomas, and Elijah Mitchell. So that's the those are the injuries to start. And as you know, I mean, kind of from here on out, from here forward, it's basically, a, it should be, and it probably has been, especially with the Ravens matchup, um, it should be playoff atmosphere for the 49ers from here on out. They are in uh, must-win mode. Now, obviously, they can they can lose one of these next two games and still be in the playoffs, but the odds are very good that if they've lost one of the next two games, they have also lost their first seed, and uh, which would give them a first-round buy in the playoffs. So from here on out, the 49ers are in playoff mode. The next two weeks are it. I mean, the next two weeks will define, could define kind of what their playoff run looks like and just how far they have to go or where they have to travel in order to get to the big game. Um, Good time to look at playoff picture. So right now, the 49ers are the first seed at 11 and four. The Eagles and the Lions are both at 11, four as well. But the 49ers hold the tiebreaker. They have a hold they hold a head-to-head tiebreaker against the Eagles. And then they hold a conference tiebreaker, conference record. 49ers are 9-1, Lions are seven and three, uh, against the Lions. So that those two tiebreakers are what are holding the Eagles and Lions at bay and keeping the 49ers in the number one seed. If they were to lose another, if they were to lose a game and neither of those other two games, uh, other two teams lose a game, then the 49ers, I believe if I'm looking at this right, will drop down to the fifth seed, which would likely put them with the same record as the Dallas Cowboys. The 49ers, again, holding a head-to-head tiebreaker against the Cowboys. That would put the 49ers, the 49ers would go from the first to the fifth seed. Um, And I believe, currently, that would slate them to play uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first round of the playoffs, which would also, if I'm reading this right, be an away game because the Buccaneers leading their division would be the fourth seed. Worst record, worse everything, but they would be the fourth seed. And as such, the 49ers, as the fifth seed, would need to travel to uh, to the Buccaneers for the first round of the playoffs. And then likely after that, every game, every playoff game would would likely be an away game because, I mean, you don't have, hold a lot of sway as the fifth seed. You know, you could play uh, a sixth seed. You know, if you played the sixth seed, then that would be a game that was at Levi's Stadium. And that shows you right there just how important it is that the 49ers hold on to that number one seed, because if they don't, not only do they, do they lose that first round bye, but they lose the likelihood of hosting any playoff matches at Levi Stadium, which is why I'm, I'm basically saying it's it's playoff atmosphere from here on out, and they get to start this run against a, a horrible commander's team by all intents and purposes, a very not good commander's team. And if you look at their last few weeks, uh, they lost to the Jets 28-30, to 30. They lost to the Rams 20-28. They lost to the Dolphins 15-45. They lost to the Cowboys 10-45. They lost to the Giants 19-31. They lost to the Seahawks 26-29. They beat the Patriots 20-17, and then their last respectable, highly respectable game was at 31-38. It was a loss, but it was against the Eagles, and they gave them a run for their money. So a commander's team that is not good. But also, has nothing to lose. I will also also offer a shout-out to uh, to Terry McLaurin. Excellent, excellent receiver. Uh, was one of my fantasy keepers for a couple of years. I just enjoyed watching him play. That was an absolute treat. And then after the uh, Commanders, you have a classic Week 18 matchup. It's Week 18, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 17 and a bye. Got it. Calm down, Rob. Classic Week 18 matchup against the Rams. And the Rams, like I've said multiple times in a row, are playing a great brand of football. Uh, And Matthew Stafford is playing a very good brand of football. I'm going to look up his stats real quick. It's me typing on the computer. How is Stafford playing right now? Right now, Stafford's completing 62% of his passes, 23 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. 3,700 yards. Yeah, he's playing well. He's playing well. And so is the rest of that Rams team. So uh, that's going to be a huge matchup for the 49ers, and it's coming. But you can't – guys, you can't overlook the commanders, okay? NFL is a week-to-week business. You can't overlook the commanders. I, I I always laugh, like, if I were to make a tweet about the Rams and how good they are and the 49ers, it's a big game for the 49ers. Somebody would inevitably reply to that saying, "Oh yeah, but we can't, we can't overlook the, we can't overlook the commanders." And I'd be like, "Well, I mean, I can. I'm not on the team. I can overlook anybody. I can t- start talking about week 18 and week one. And I don't think my overlooking the uh, the commanders is really going to uh, impact the 49ers at all. I really don't. But you always have those replies. No, we can't. We can't overlook them, man. We we gotta go week. Two. We can't overlook them." You're like, hey, man, I'm not in the locker room. I'm, I'm not walking around the lockers, uh, telling, telling the players that they should probably overlook the commanders. So you're good. You're good. Everything's gonna be okay. Um. So obviously, the the talking point throughout the week was Brock Purdy's performance against the Ravens, and the inevitably, the four interceptions that occurred. During the Ravens, Brock Purdy spoke with the media, I believe it was today, and didn't sound overly affected by the game. He said, you know, he he even almost backed up the game. Not his performance, but he backed up the way they thought that game was going to go. He said, we thought the game plan was good, and I just fell short. Uh, Plays were there. I just didn't execute them. Um, He, You know, he kind of talked a little bit about managing the excitement, you know, on that first drive, if you go to playlist. so. Ravens go three and out. Then Brock Purdy hits McCaffrey for three yards. Uh, Okay. So McCaffrey, three yards incomplete to use check. Then Kittle for 58 yards. Kittle again for 13 yards and then boom interception in the end zone to Kyle Hamilton uh, on a late throw to Debo Samuel as he crossed over the middle. Um, Ravens were kind of running, running cover two, two deep safeties and Debo came open behind the first safety on the left and, and, if Purdy wanted to make that throw, it essentially needed to be a throw that was made early and right down the middle of the field. Instead, he waited and he essentially threw it right to Hamilton. Was, he said himself it was a bad read. And that was the one interception that Kyle Shanahan said, well, you know, that was basically inexcusable. That was the bad one. Um the rest of the three we can get into in a little bit. You've seen them gotten into, but we won't spend too much time on them. But Purdy talked about the excitement of, you know, having a fifty eight yard play and then a thirteen yard play, and then you're about to score, and then bam, you may you make a bad read, you get a little too excited, and there were there were check-down options available that probably would have at least gotten you a first down or you know a few yards and kept the drive going. And he was just talking about managing managing his excitement. And you know, with a play like that, with the way Brock Purdy plays football, it's you're gonna get some of those. He wants to push the ball down the field, he wants to be aggressive, he wants to take risks. And I just think that's that's excusable for a guy that has been playing as good as he is. Now, again, per Kyle Shanahan, that was the only interception, and he was like, "Yeah, that was the wrong fucking decision." And Purdy knows that, Shanahan knows that, we know that. It was easy to see. But again, I would rather have a quarterback that took chances and was aggressive with the football and pushed it down the field. That's why Purdy, you know, leads the league in air yards per attempt. He's throwing the ball down the field. Inevitably, you're going to get mistakes especially for a young quarterback. So nothing that, that really should have set the world on fire as it might have. Uh, Purdy did say that uh he, again he was confident in the game plan. He felt like the the 49ers offense was going to do what it needed to do to beat the Ravens and some of the numbers speak to that. If you go look at the at the you you ignore the score, you just went and looked at some of the base numbers of the 49ers versus Ravens. Um the Ravens had 23 first downs, the 49ers had 21. So toe to toe there. The Ravens are only 4 of 11 on third down. The 49ers are 6 of 14. Uh, So, I mean, not much better, but a little better. Semi-respectable, not quite at that 50% threshold. Total yards for the Ravens, 343. 49ers, 429. Average gain per play, Ravens 5.4. 49ers, 6.3. They out uh, rushed the Ravens. They out threw the Ravens. They out the Ravens. That's not exactly a good thing. And then, you know, the number that basically defined the entire game was the Ravens had zero turnovers and the 49ers had five. And that's what changes the game right there. And, you know, you, you just can't. Kyle Shanahan basically pointed to those two stats. You know, when you have five turnovers and 10 penalties for 100 yards, you shouldn't expect to win a football game. And that ultimately, obviously, made the difference and uh, you you think about the game it was only a 14 point game it was only a two score game if if just even a couple of those turnovers get batted down rather than into the air then you're probably talking about a completely different game that the 49ers win um, or it comes down to the wire and, and no one's really getting for lack of a better word crucified for for their performance uh kind of as purdy is and then if you go back and you you know If you go back and look at those and look at that game, you know, and look at what the 49ers did, there were they, the 49ers averaged 6.7 yards a carry on the ground. Purdy averaged eight yards per attempt. He still managed to throw for 255 yards. He was making big plays. Everything about that game looked like the 49ers we've come accustomed to, except that it was against one of the best defenses in the NFL. Now, from my first point is the 49ers were moving the ball against the Ravens. Every, every, I mean, Kittle, uh, seven catches for 126 yards. Kittle had essentially a hundred yards before the end of half. Ayuk six catches, 113 yards. Uh, Debo Samuel, four catches, 47 yards. I don't know how he has four catches on 12 targets. That's weird. That's a lot of unaccounted for targets, but the 49ers threw for 336 yards in the air. Sam Darnold managed to score in an interception of his own. So they were moving the ball. They were running it well. They were throwing it well. Obviously, the one massive asterisk to that were, were Purdy's turnovers. He made some mistakes. He got a little ahead of himself, and he also got a little unlucky. Uh, Guy Haberman, I think it was on KBR, KBR mentioned that Purdy had 11 throws that went for 10 yards or more. Like He was dealing. And then everything kind of caught up to him. And it, it reminded me of, I don't know, who posted this? Where did I see this? But the quicksand scene where he's talking about, you know, you, you're just digging yourself into a deeper hole. And then all of a sudden you realize you can't get out. You can't move. You can't breathe. Well, that's kind of what happened to Purdy. And his first interception was really his worst. The one where he just had a mystery and threw it right to a, a, a Ravens defender that didn't really even have to work for the interception. And then the second interception was uh, it was going to be a short pass to Debo Samuel and the corner that was covering Debo Samuel blitzed and and ran right into the pass. Now, it's such a quick pass that by the time Purdy realized it, and it's supposed to be a quick pass, uh, head coaches like, you know, Kyle Shanahan types will get pissed off at you if you don't make that pass quickly. And he made that pass, and by the time the ball was out of his hands, that corner was already blitzed, and all he did was put his hands up and bat it into another defender, and that was it. So that is just shit luck. The third interception was, I kind of figure it somewhere in the middle of being shitty luck and stupid decision-making, where he scrambled around. He, and again, he acted pretty active, like he had some sort of free play. There were flags on the ground, but they were all on the offense. And Purdy scrambled around and then threw it to Kittle, who was coming back to him. But there was a defender right next to Kittle coming back to Purdy as well. And they both kind of impacted the ball at the same time. Again, doesn't fall down, flies into the air and right into the hands of a defender. So that's two passes that, um, that you see way more commonly get batted down or into the ground than you do into the air for someone else to intercept. So some shitty luck, some questionable decisions in there. And then the fourth pick, which you know four interceptions is four interceptions at that point it's a it's just a bad game but colton mckivitz got beat again and uh got pretty hurt or hit right as he threw the ball again um 49ers their first draft pick this year is not a, a an offensive tackle i don't know what they're doing but so that fourth pick was on McKivitts, and, and those those were Purdy's four interceptions. And one of them was egregious. One of them was was on its way to egregious, I thought. That scramble interception was just a eh, little, little shaky on the decision-making. And then two of them were just straight-up unlucky and not his problem. And let's say if those two interceptions that were more unlucky than his fault just get batted down, then you're probably looking for, you know, the Ravens are scoring probably at least one or two less touchdowns or probably scoring. You know what I mean? I don't want to get into this multiverse of badness shit. It it just wasn't as bad as it looked on upon second review. You know, the game, it was 16 to 12 at halftime. And then you had that third quarter that just got out of hand. The 49ers went punt, interception, punt, while the Ravens went touchdown, touchdown, field goal. And two of the, both of those touchdowns were from the 49ers side of the field. So it just really snowballed out of control. Uh, The four Brock Purdy said it. Other 49ers have said it. Other people have said it. I don't think. I think the 49ers would have a little bit of confidence if they had to meet the Ravens again. Uh, we know the Ravens are going to have confidence, but I do think Purdy and and the rest of the 49ers team would would not exactly uh, shy away from from the uh from the and it, uh, it, was, it would obviously it wouldn't be for a while. But I don't think they'd shy away against an, uh, another matchup with the Ravens. In the meantime, you've got just an absolute. And it's so lame too. the amount of like, I told you so's that just randomly sprung up like weeds. People that have basically been forced to shut up throughout, you know, weeks and months of the fact that Purdy just kept playing game after game, after game, after game. And then he finally has a rough game. And then all these boom, I told you so, you know, like it's like the worst existence in sports. People that haven't said shit the entire time when Purdy's been playing well. And the moment he struggles, they sprout up like weeds you don't want. And, uh, Talking to you about it, and I've mentioned this before, but the funniest part to me about people with those types of attitudes is like, cool, man, you're you're actively rooting against the last pick of the draft from last year that has basically battled through all conceivable odds to not only be the first Mister Irrelevant quarterback to throw a completion in the NFL, but to actually develop into a starting. Caliber quarterback for a Super Bowl for a team with Super Bowl aspirations and play at an MVP consideration level. Like, congrats, man. You you really did a good job on not wanting that to happen. Like, I, I just I don't understand where they find their footing and disliking somebody who is doing everything against the odds. It's blows my mind a little bit. Like, why are you so unhappy? Who hurts you? No, no one's Let's, um, let's do how, yeah, let's get into prize books, real prize picks real quick. Okay. Um, I want to talk to you guys about my prize picks because I think they're kind of interesting. I'm kind of like last couple weeks of the season. We're just going to send it. Now, first, if you don't know what prize picks is daily fantasy sports, you get on there, you pick two to six players, You pick the snap projections that you want to target, receiving yards, passing yards, rushing yards, field goals, sacks, tackles, whichever one. You're picking more or less, and you're watching the winnings roll in. Daily fantasy sports, nobody does it better than PrizeFix. What I like most about PrizeFix is its simplicity, which kind of goes hand in hand with its quickness. You can get on to PrizeFix. It's very easy to navigate. It's intuitive. It's not overly complicated. And you can have an entire lineup set picked and selected and entered in a matter of 60 seconds. Uh, which I really like. That's what I really like. If you're going to jump on board, which you should, because the odds are very good that you're going to do better than me. If you're going to jump on, go to pricefix.com slash gold and use the promo code gold and uh, they're going to match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. Okay, Why not? Why not? You put in 100 bucks, you're going to have 200 bucks in your account. Now, my picks this week. We'll get into Washington. We'll get into the commanders. Defense, not good. So here's what I'm doing. I'm going Brandon Ayuk to have more than 66 receiving yards. I'm going Brock Purdy to have more than 256 passing yards. I'm going Christian McCaffrey to have more than 87 rushing yards. I'm going Jacoby Brissett, Washington quarterback, to have less than 227 passing yards. And I think Joey Sly, Washington kicker, makes more than one and a half field goals. And that also was a demon play that I thought was pretty gracious. So I'm doing a $10 flex play that when you do five players or more, they, they, they automatically put it into a flex, which means that if I get three out of five, correct, I win four bucks. Woohoo! If I get four out of five, correct, I win 20. And if I get all five, I win 120 bucks off a $10 flex play. So that's what I'm going with. And, um, and I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling good about it. I'm, I'm, I've had it. I'm done. I'm not losing anymore. We're finishing out the regular season strong. I've got two weeks left. I'm going two for two and you guys have heard me say it. Heard it here first. I hate when people say that online. Like, no. How could you possibly know that you were the first person to say that? Did you search your own phrase on the internet and make sure nobody else had said that before you said heard it here first? I don't fucking think so. Do not lie to us. We're not, we're not idiots. Scam artist. Anyways. Appreciate you guys. Commanders. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking to you about the commanders. I feel like that's almost an insult to your intelligence. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I'm just, you know, yep, Chase Young, eager to get back. You know, his Chase Young revenge game. He's going to have 18 sacks in this one game. But there's not a lot going on with commanders that we can really take seriously from a 49ers standpoint. Is it a trap game? Eh, You know, is it a letdown game? Eh, I I really don't buy into that at this point of the season. The 49ers absolutely know what's at stake, what's at risk, what they've got to do. If you somehow manage to fall into any sort of a letdown or a trap game at this point of the season with this much on the line, then it's just you failing to realize the importance of the moment. And, you know, as coaches, that's on you to get the team in the right mindset. Um, standouts on the team, not a whole lot going on. You've got Terry McLaurin again, who has 885 yards, uh, three touchdowns, and he's just doing what he can in an offense that was for the longest time quarterback by Sam Howell, who has now been replaced by Jacoby Brissett, who in his limited games, he's played in three games. Uh, he completed 18 of 23, which is almost 80%, 224 yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions. So in the very short period of time, we've seen Jacoby Brissett, he was solid. Uh, is he going to be solid enough to go up against a 49ers defense and dice him up? Common sense would tell you no, but crazier things have fucking happened. So, with the commanders, you have a defense that just isn't good. They're not good defending the run or the pass. They've given up 35 plus points per game over the last six weeks. They've, they're the most points allowed in the NFL, the most yards, the most yards per game. They're giving up 4.5 yards per carry on the ground. They're worst in the NFL in passing touchdowns allowed. They're among the worst in interceptions. Uh, they're bottom 10 in points per game, yards, rushing yards. Uh, they're primarily a passing team too, and that's probably because they're playing from both behind the sticks and behind the scoreboard the vast majority of the time. And that right there, knowing that about the commander's defense is why I went so heavy on price picks for Brandon Ayuk, for Purdy, for McCaffrey. I think the 49ers offense is just going to be a little pissed off about how that game went against the Ravens. And they know it's time to get right. And like I said, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Kyle Shanahan has got this team in a playoff mindset. They probably should have been last week. And and again, there's a lot of things last week that point to a team that was kind of in that mode things just got out of out of hand for, for Brock Purdy at quarterback and, and the rest of the team just couldn't catch up. <clears throat> so in the end, you've got a team that's not good competing for one of the top draft picks in the NFL. Uh they in no way should pose any sort of a threat or challenge to the 49ers. Uh yeah, the 49ers do have to travel pretty much across the country. You know, it is an early time slot game. Things can get weird. Weirder things have happened, but <clears throat> a lot of times the things you think are weird end up not being weird, and the team that should kick ass does kiss, kick ass, and that's really as deep as the analysis should go for a, a 49ers team that just lost a tough one against the Ravens, and now they're going to go uh, into Washington just a little irritated knowing that they've, uh, that's week one and they've got to go two for two in the last two weeks. In other news around the NFL, you've got the absolutely ridiculous bonkers Cam Newton and Devo Samuel saga where, you know, Cam Newton tried to start talking about Brock Purdy, which is funny because Cam Newton called Brock Purdy a game manager, meaning he doesn't turn the bottle over. He takes care of it. He does what the team needs the team to win. And then he posted like some detective emoji after Purdy has a bad game. And I'm like, well. That would make you incorrect anyways, because a game manager doesn't turn the ball over four times. So, you know, I I don't even know why you're chiming in. Well, and and Debo Samuel replied to that and Cam Newton replied to that. And Debo Samuel is like, well, you are sorry. You are, you know, inviting me on your podcast one day and then talking about my quarterback the next. And then you find out that Debo Samuel's got all these text messages from Cam Newton in his super special wing dig font, you know, that he sends around, which is, I hope he really doesn't text like that. That would be immensely frustrating. You know, obviously seeing a, a, a blue bubble pop up for an iPhone user is just like, all right, cool. Things are going to be civil here. But then seeing a blue bubble covered in text like that, i would be like, shut it off. Get it out of here. Well, apparently, Debo Samuel was not receiving texts from Cam Newton. He was receiving texts from some random ass kids that had Debo Samuel's number and were acting like Cam Newton. Debo Samuel's deleted all the tweets. I don't know what Cam Newton's done in regards to it. Absolutely ridiculous. I'm I'm absolutely expecting a a Netflix special on this. You know, kind of like the Manti Te'o thing. Like I want to see how Debo Samuel got fooled by these kids into thinking that cam newton wanted him on his podcast would have been funny if cam newton like wanted him to meet him at a studio and debo shamiel shows up and was like oh man i'm ready to do this why are you talking about my quarterback and then cam's like not there and they're doing like some home and garden network show or something i don't know i'm, I'm really going off the rails here but that whole saga was just absolutely ridiculous and i'm hoping we get some sort of wild resolution to it Soon, I mean, I want, I want Cam Newton and Debo Samuel on a show live with the kids, the catfish Debo Samuel, so they could just hash it all out. It's all weird and it needs to stay weird. You know what I mean? Uh, Patrick Willis is uh, for the third time in, in as many years, a pro football hall of fame finalist. Fucking a Patrick Willis seems like an obvious choice to me. I mean, The dude played one, two, three, four, five, six. I think it was eight years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight years of football. And eight of those years, seven of those years were playing the game at the absolute highest possible level. He was, during his time in the NFL, just the the linebacker mold. You know, as a rookie, he had 174 combined tackles, four sacks, eight tackles for loss, seven quarterback hits. In his essentially seven complete seasons, he made Pro Bowl in all seven of them. Of those seven full seasons, he was a five time All Pro. He was named to the Hall of Fame All 2010 team. AP Defensive Rookie of the Year when he first showed up. Pro Football Writers of America Defensive Rookie of the Year. There's an accolade. Just in, I mean, damn. Like it feels like this is the one. There's not a whole lot of ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, you're talking about somebody that played the linebacker position at the highest level year in and year out for seven years. I don't care how short his career was. The guy decided to walk away before his body fell apart on him. And that's respectable to me. That shouldn't devalue what he did when he was in the league. You know, Patrick Willis was kind of like this unique blend of being an old school. Between the tackle, linebacker. I mean, he was 6'4", 242 pounds. Just an absolute tank. But he still had the athleticism to make an impact in the passing game. You know, I mean, in two of his seasons, he had over 10 pass breakups. I mean, those are good numbers for a corner. Three interceptions one year, two in the next, eight total interceptions in his career. 53 pass breakups in in seven years. I mean, the dude was, he was like a weird blend of what we expected linebackers to do then and what we expect them to do now. You know, I I think somebody asked me recently, like in their prime, would you pick Patrick Willis or Fred Warner? And I said, it depends on when you're asking because if you're asking me right now, I'd probably pick Fred Warner because he is, the spawn of Patrick Willis and what it takes to be a modern linebacker in the NFL. But there was, there was nothing like Patrick Willis in his time, man, just an absolute unit, a tank on the field, especially when you had him and Navarro Bowman next to each other, 52, 53, you know, that was special times. It's unfortunate that Willis never got a ring, but that shouldn't define his hall of fame tenure. It never should because football is a team sport how did this guy play the game? And if you're going to argue about his career length, then, you know, to me, it's like, if you're going to be against Frank Gore getting in, then you can't be against Patrick Willis getting in because a lot of people say, well, Frank Gore wasn't, you know, the absolute best back in the NFL in any one time. And I, my reply to that is no, but he was one of the best backs in the NFL at, at a given time, and he put together an absolutely hall of fame caliber career. Whereas Patrick Willis, he did not, you know, you're talking about a career as a whole and you don't think seven years is worthy of Hall of fame. Sure. But while he was on the field, he was the best linebacker in the NFL. So which one do you want? Do you want the the career longevity or do you want the, the, the moniker of being the absolute best when he was on the field? Patrick Willis has one. Frank Gore has the other. I think they're both hall of famers. Um, and, uh, and I think this is probably the year that Patrick Willis gets in. He should get in. I'm not going to say that he probably should have been first ballot, you know, just because you'd have to see what each year's lineup is and how their career stacks up to Pat's. But, uh, pretty awesome, man. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Pat is now 38, about to turn 39. Still hasn't even hit 40 yet. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, one thing, one other thing I noticed, do I have that up here? Do I still have the odds up here? I don't think I do. I think, Christian McCaffrey might have a better shot at MVP than we realize, right? When I looked, he was second in the odds behind Lamar Jackson. And if you look at Christian McCaffrey's season, it's absolutely incredible. And I understand the MVP is a quarterback's award. You know, it kind of needs to be because even though, I think, put it this way. We saw what... Okay, you go back to the Eagles game at the end of last year. We saw what that game looked like without Brock Purdy. It was bad. It was horrible. It was unwatchable. That shows you the value of a quarterback, especially on a great team. If you were to remove Christian McCaffrey from that team and put in, let's say, Elijah Mitchell, J.P. Mason, whatever you want, I'd be willing to bet, and I say this with all due respect, that that game would be a lot more watchable than it was without Brock Purdy, and I think that's why quarterbacks win MVPs is because they're if they're the most valuable player on the field at any given moment. You pluck them out of the and everything changes. You know what I mean? So it, it's not like a slight towards Christian McCaffrey or anything. It's just saying the value of a quarterback could never be understated, and I think that's why it's a quarterback award. And it doesn't have to be, but it almost always is. But my point being was is McCaffrey is now second, has the second best odds. To him, the MVP and Lamar Jackson, although he looked very good against the 49ers, and that's worth a lot. His season hasn't been that great. You know, Purdy's season was quite a bit better in terms of the numbers and the way it looked. But, you know, maybe uh, Hall of Fame voters, excuse me, uh, MVP voters are looking at that like, okay, so we could pick Lamar, who's already won MVP and, and had a decent season. Or we can use this year as an opportunity to finally give the award to somebody else because no quarterback has really risen completely above the crop and taken it. Now, if they give it to Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't bat an eye. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, I think that especially after his performance against the 49ers, then he's earned strong consideration, no doubt. But with McCaffrey having just an unbelievable season, Maybe maybe he garners more Hall of Fame votes than we think he will because I keep saying Hall of Fame, but I mean MVP because he, technically he's having a, a much more impressive season than Lamar Jackson. Um, I mean, again, just to go through the stats, the accolades, 258 carries for essentially 1,400 yards and 14 touchdowns. That's 5.4 yards per carry. He also has 63 catches for 537 yards and seven touchdowns. So he is just less than 100 yards, I think, away from yeah, less than 100 yards away from eclipsing the 2000-yard mark. Yeah, he's at 1932. 1932 yards. He averages six he averages 6 yards every time he touches the ball. And he scored 21 touchdowns. You know, if if there ever was a year to not give it to a quarterback, it's this one. Lamar Jackson, although great, hasn't had any a year anywhere close to the year he won MVP. And Christian McCaffrey is having the season. So I would say, depending on how these last two games go, there's there's still a chance that that a somebody in a 49ers 49ers uniform could walk away with that MVP. It'd be it'd be a hell of a thing. You know, and I think Christian McCaffrey's earned it, no doubt. But again, would it really shock anybody if Lamar won it or, a quarter, you know, obviously a quarterback won it? No. no. Did I leave anything out? Nope. Commanders, Sunday, 10 a.m. I'm getting that right, right? I'm not, I'm not like, sending you guys to to your TVs at the wrong time, especially after telling that story of that guy that was ready for the game on Sunday, even though the 49ers played on Thursday. Oh, one of the funniest social media posts I've ever seen. Um, okay, yep. Commanders, 10 a.m. Sunday. It is Thursday. What's the score on the Thursday night football game? Like it matters. Like anybody cares about the Browns and the Jets. Let's see. Live right now. 20 to 34. What a barn burner. How many much time is left? 850. Okay. All right. I don't even bug you guys with that. I don't even know why I'm talking about it right now. I apologize. But thank you, everybody. Happy holidays. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you tuning in. Um, remember after the game, take away time on my Twitter account, reply to that, reply to that post and get yourself in the pod. No excuses. I want to see some new faces. I don't want to see any less of the regulars. That's come on, guys. Come back, come back here, sit down. I want to see you guys here. Okay, but uh, you know, let's get some, let's, let's reel some other members into the striking gold fam. Make sure you guys are retweeting it, spreading it out there, send it far and wide. To the masses. Appreciate you guys. Thank you everybody for listening to Strike and Gold. Um, follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore louder. Sometimes I tweet think cool things. Sometimes I don't. Um, if you want to leave a little bit more support for the pod, you being here listening is the ultimate form. But if you want to leave a little bit more support, uh, get on whatever app you're listening to. Leave a five star review. Write some words down if you want to. If you don't want to, it's okay. Appreciate you guys. All right. My name's Rob. This is Strike and Gold. And we're signing out.
2: mypatriotsupply.com